Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to the co-founder and CEO of Ananibit, Francis Zalazny. And we're going to be talking about decentralized biometrics, infrastructure, privacy by, de by design, and more. But first off, let me welcome Francis. Francis, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. And where do we find you at today? I am in very cold New York City. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm in very cold, dark, damp Seattle, Washington. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, what do they say? Misery loves company. And yeah. so we, we, have we won't that. have a competition on the weather. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had record, record rain, um, not snow. We have had quite a bit of snowfall, not records, but we've had record rain this year, um, which everybody says, oh, it keeps things green. But to me, it's kind of annoying. Uh, tell me, tell me your horror story for the New York winter. What's going on out there? It's been uh, up and down, um, but hopefully we're, uh, uh, we're we're I think we're gearing up for more rain and snow in the next 24 hours. <laughs> you know, we're just between COVID and the weather, we're staying put and indoors, and maybe that's a good segue for what we're going to talk about. It might today. be, and on an optimistic front, aren't we getting close to Groundhog Day here? So hopefully things will. Uh you know, take a turn for the better. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we are here to talk about, uh, like I said, decentralized biometrics infrastructure, privacy design, by design, and, um, you know, a little bit about what Ananibit does. First off, let me ask you, because you are the CEO and co-founder, why another security company? W you know, what was the um, impetus to bring Ananibit into, um, into creation? Yeah, so um, Anonibit is really at the nexus of two of, of two uh, industries, security as well as um, identity and privacy. Um, as you well know, there's often a trade-off that we make between security and privacy, um, and uh, we're, we tend to give up one for another. And we see this um, in in many in many facets um, of our lives. And Anonibit is um, is really here to say you don't need to you don't need to make these trade-offs. We actually can have both privacy and security, um, protecting um, our personal data uh, as well as um, our assets um, and and our networks. Well, before we dig into the specifics of that, um, maybe you can give an example or explain that a little bit further because. Usually when we talk about trade-offs, what I've heard is, you know, we have a trade-off between between productivity and privacy and security. I haven't heard the trade-off so much as between privacy and security because they typically, from what, what I see, they typically kind of align. Where do you see the two kind of um, playing off each other or coming into some sort of uh, conflict? So I'll give you, uh, and I know we're going to talk a lot more about this, but, you know, in the world of cryptocurrency and, and NFTs, um, you know, part of the appeal is that um, these are democratized uh, uses of, of money, of trade, of assets, uh, and whatnot. And nobody, um, nobody is a central owner um, of the data that that goes that flows through these systems, both the assets themselves and also the personal uh, the personal um, information that flows through through these systems. 
And so that means that, you know, we have maybe have a lot of private ownership when it comes to cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, but that also means that there is no central custodian or manager um, of those assets. So um, just put it simply, um, if, a, if a hacker guesses your private key or your password for your, your crypto wallet, um, where is the accountability and who's to know that it was, uh, it was an attacker and not you? Um, and so these questions arise uh, every single day. And that's probably the most, um, I would say the most uh, common one right now for your listeners. But this, this example is playing out in many other, in many other more, more technical um, aspects. Like, uh, you know, if you use your face ID on your phone, it might be more private because the entity that is um, accepting that face ID from your phone, really, uh, you're not enrolling your biometrics with them. They're just relying on it from your phone, but then a hacker can circumvent that process because the organization doesn't know who's behind the phone. So there are many, many, many ways that this plays out. Well, I, you know, that's, it's interesting because I've never really thought about that. Um, and I think the the example with crypto is, it's obviously hugely relevant and uh, important because yeah, we, we get the privacy um, with these kind of anonymous transactions and trading, but we are sacrificing potentially um, some of the security that would come with maybe um, having, having our, are coins held in a more secure environment or having some kind of redundant security there to protect them? So I, I actually, to be honest with you, I've never never even thought about that. Um, I'll the, give you the, another the example. Please another do. Another example is um, I could take your credit card and put it in my, um, in my uh, uh, Apple Pay. Um, yeah. And, you, you know, my face ID is attached to my Apple wallet. Um, mm-hmm. I can make a transaction and nobody will ever know it's not you. Um, because that credit card is not attached to any biometric data. The bank doesn't know that it's not you. The merchant doesn't know that it's not you. And I've just kind of used my bio, my face ID from my phone. Note to self, do not give Francis your credit card. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, that's pretty scary. So, so let me ask you, um, I mean, you know, obviously I, I think most people understand what, uh, biometrics are, um, but when you talk about a decentralized biometrics infrastructure, can can you explain what your what what that is? Yeah. So in the world of biometrics, we have something called a, a template. A template is a mathematical representation of of your biometrics. So it could be your face, your finger, your iris, um, your voice, and typically that mathematical representation is sitting. Um, in a holistic form in order to to use for a match. So that's essentially what Face ID does or Touch ID does on your phone. And the template is stored in a secure uh, vessel, if you will, inside your device and it, and it never leaves. But as I just explained, um, just because it's sitting in a secure vessel on your device doesn't mean that, that the whole uh, process behind you know, in the background is 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 secure because it, they, it can be circumvented. It's not that somebody's going to break into your phone and, and steal that template. It's the fact that the, the process can be um, uh, circumvented. So when we talk about decentralized biometrics, we're talking about breaking up that template into what we call anonymized bits. Um, mm-hmm. These are um, encrypted, meaningless pieces of this biometric, otherwise, uh, you know, biometric vector or template. And these anonymized bits get stored throughout a peer-to-peer network of nodes, 
Um, we use multi-party computing and, and a concept called zero knowledge proofs in order to make sure that these, the information is distributed in a manner where we can do both the storage and the matching um, in a decentralized way. And nothing ever needs to come back together ever again, uh, even for matching. Um, and so this is the way the infrastructure um, allows us to um, to authenticate somebody's identity without having the um, that template in any sitting in any one place. So you actually, with Anonymous, you get all of the privacy benefits um, of having the of, of the phone or the device-based biometric, with all of the security benefits because we can um, we can integrate into existing workflows. Um, whether it's cryptocurrency or NFT or a bank or retailer or you know any other authentication workflow, we can integrate into the um, onboarding process. So that when somebody does want to do an authentication or down the line account recovery, uh, the entity actually knows who's behind the transaction. Wow. And I can think of, and, and I might be right or might be wrong on this, but I can think of all kinds of useful applications for this. So, for example, if you are a bank and you want to use some type of biometric, um, uh, you know, authorization, you having a database of all these templates could actually be a liability. Um, a liability from one, you know, obviously if 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 it's hacked. Uh, to even from like um, the PII and some of the, like requirements under GDPR and some of the other regulatory bodies out there, the, having that information would be at some point, you know, both it's an asset in terms of it helps it helps you to kind of validate who's um, who's accessing your platform, but it's a liability in terms of that that it's really sensitive data, and if it if you lose it, there's some obviously some cost to that will go along with that. So, are, are would your would Anonabit would would that solve those kind of uh, liability type issues with the data? Because you no longer you you don't have those templates in one piece. If if that's what I'm hearing. Well, that's exactly correct. So um, we're essentially able to meet all of these data protection requirements. There are a couple of um, aspects there. One is um, one is data minimization, and the other is privacy by design. So we're able to do both through our decentralized infrastructure. I mentioned zero knowledge proofs before. This is essentially how we're doing it. So we're breaking it up and we're also leveraging zero knowledge proofs so that there is no, there's no central place for, there's no single point of failure. There's nothing for an attacker to find, nothing for an attacker to steal, but you can still uh, verify who somebody is when they're, when they're transacting. So from a GDPR perspective, we're really solving a couple of problems. One is um, minimizing the risk of a data breach. Number two, um, and number two, making sure that only the right people have access uh, to their data. And this is um, this is a big win for uh, enterprises, banks, retailers. Again, you know that all want to um, want to or need to for other regulatory reasons uh, maintain personal data, but want to eliminate um, or reduce the risk of a of a potential data breach. I mean, nobody wants to be the next headline. Right. And right. All, any personal data is just like a hot potato today. So, like, you know, just get rid of it. And how do I do it? Yeah. It, and it's interesting um, under GDPR, a, a, a lot of companies are under the assumption that when we talk about PII, they're talking about data, whether that's, you know, uh, HR records or, you know, credit card information or social security numbers or you know, whatever it is. Um, but 
not everybody is aware that it could be just images, right? And some of these biometric um, uh, templates that you're talking about, that is PII. If, if it can be, if you can attach that to a, you know, a natural uh, citizen of the EU, then it falls under GDPR. But one of the exclusion areas is law enforcement. So if law enforcement has a, a reason, a justifiable reason to uh, acquire that PII and store it, they, they're they given a few kind of, I wouldn't call them loopholes, but they're, they're given um, a hall pass to go ahead and do that. At the same time, a lot I think a lot of people, even the law enforcement agencies, but the just the regular people would feel a little bit concerned that you know that any agency out there would have that information stored someplace because it's potentially vulnerable to hacks, et cetera. Did you, did, do you work with any law enforcement agencies or do you see that as a potential market? Yeah, so I think you know you covered two, so there are two different aspects of this. One has to do with the legitimate purpose for the collection. And there are multiple reasons why an entity would collect personal data, whether it's biometrics or any other uh, PII, right? A name, mm -hmm. a phone number, an email address. And by the way, the anonymous infrastructure can support um, uh, any uh, kind of um, personal uh, data or digital asset. We do have a we do have two products. One that's more for authentication, leveraging the biometric. And the other one is um, what we call the digital asset vault, which is for crypto keys and, and master passwords and backup passphrases, but you could also store emails and phone numbers and other things in there. Um, so that was kind of a, a, a side just to, just to clarify. But there are two aspects when it comes to GDPR. So one is the, the consent and the reason for the collection. So consent is one of them, legitimate use is another. It could be, as you said, law enforcement. There's a health, there's a health, there's six different reasons for it that cover that go under the um, legitimate use. And it and consent is one of them. Um, the second has to do with the storage aspects, which is what you're talking about. Where is the data and how is it stored? And how do you present how do you prevent a breach? Just because you obtain consent doesn't absolve you of responsibility if there is a data breach, by the way. Um, so there's two different aspects. The, in, in the GDPR, um, the Illinois law is solely focused on consent and is silent on, on the data breaches, where California is a combination. So they're different. The data protection and privacy landscape is very, very um, hodgepodge and it's very, very confusing. But, you know, just like if we're going to just have the lowest common denominator, it's two things. One is consent and the other is storage and preventing data breaches. Anonibit is taking care of the second aspect and nobody is immune from a data breach. So the US government itself was breached about five years ago. There are about 5 million fingerprint templates of US employees and contractors that were stolen along with all of the other PII. Um, just more recently, the government of Argentina was hacked. Um, their entire national database uh, was um, is essentially available on the dark web. Albania also, there's been questions swirling around other governments, um, uh, India, Pakistan, and others. Um, there have been um, obviously DMVs that have been, that have been breached. So um, this is not theoretical and whether it's a law enforcement or a national registry or a bank or a healthcare institution, or even the small business, we are all vulnerable. It is not enough to just have a legitimate use for collection. It is also, it is, we, are, we are all 
it is incumbent on all of us to think about how we actually store and manage all of this personal data. And that's really, none of it is getting to the heart of this, of all of this, of all of this. Well, you, know, you mentioned all these uh, different attacks and, and one of the most common attacks these days that affects everybody from, from individuals all the way up to the largest companies and organizations in the world is um, uh, ransomware attacks. And how does Anonymit, uh, Anonymit kind of either prevent or assist in the recovery um, after a ransomware attack? So it's really the, the most ransomware attacks are caused by phishing and the use of, of, of stolen credentials. So let's take a step back, right? What, what exactly happened? Somehow they trick someone into clicking on a link or some other way they get access to the network where they plant that malware. Um, and so this just, again, going back to the root of the problem, if we're not using weak authenticators and we're not using passwords, the likelihood of these attacks in the first place um, goes down. So it's really, um, you know, it's 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 all of this is very very overwhelming. But if we <sighs> but if we look at all of these attacks, they all have the same thing in common, and that is weak authenticators. Whether it's SIM card swaps, ransomware, or or any, or the you know these government hacks, somebody is getting in and using stolen credentials in order to perpetuate the attack. Um, in order to solve this problem, we need to get rid of weak authenticators. We need to get rid of passwords. We need to get rid of knowledge-based authenticators. We need to get rid of device-based authenticators that can be circumvented and use biometrics, which are the only link between a person and their identity. And um, there are many you know, different ways to skin that cat, but when it comes to you know, biometric storage and the data around that, back to the beginning of, you know, what Anonymous is trying to solve is the custodian of that biometric data and all the personal data. This is what Anonymous enables. And then you can apply that to preventing phishing attacks, preventing account takeovers, preventing SIM card swaps, protecting NFT accounts, and so on and so forth. Excellent. Now, when you talk about, you know, doing away with some of the more traditional um, auth uh, systems, pa passwords, for example, um, and then just just going direct to, to biometrics. Do you would you still advocate some kind of a second factor authentication, or is just one biometric auth um, sufficient? So there are many different ways to do second factor authentication. You can um, you can um, add a a a real secret. So not your mother's maiden name and your favorite color, but you can. You <laughs> Darn can, it, you guessed um, it. <laughs> you you can um, you know deploy a real secret that you that you protect. You can use a secondary biometric as a second factor. You can attach. Um, you can link on the back end a biometric to a device very silently. So you actually are not using the device as the as the identifier. You're using the biometric as a, as the identifier, and then and then you um, do it the reverse. Um, so there are many different ways to incorporate um, two-factor or multi-factor authentication, but the biometrics should be the primary, not the, not, the, not the excuse for convenience, which is essentially what most of the deployments of biometrics are today. 
And and how and everything you say just totally makes sense. But um, how how does Anonabit uh, you know integrate with some of the leading platforms out there? And I'm I'm obviously thinking about you know M365 and and you know any of the other major platforms. Is it just like a plug and play uh, auth solution, or how, how does it work? Yeah. So all all of these um, all of these platforms, um, they're they're most of them are not biometric natives. They either rely on um, an outside uh, authenticator or a device-based uh, authenticator, and um, an Anonabit um, essentially will will be the cloud-based authenticator. It could be part of these platforms, or it could be as a as a plugin. There are different standards that that can be used. What what our solution is doing is um, we 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 have an SDK that that captures and breaks the biometric down on the front end, and then we have an API that sends the yes or no response on the back end. So this is really how we integrate, and it's very, very standard with other other types of uh, other authenticators. And are most of your conversations right now with um, enterprise customers or, or you know, government organizations, or, or are you working primarily through partners? So it's really a combination. Um, we, uh, our our products are meant to be used by embedded partners um, as well as end users. There are many different reasons why uh, an end user will work with us directly versus through a partner. Um, our mission is to enable the ecosystem. So we're agnostic um, in that respect. There are some you know entities that prefer to own and manage the tech stack, tech stack themselves. For example, they will take the API response and they will manage, you know, however they want to do the orchestration. Other other type of entities just want a total solution and they don't want to think about, you know, all of the different all of the different components. So um, we are the decentralized biometric cloud uh, infrastructure, and there are some tools that we use for that we provide for um, for um, end user organizations that that want something more turnkey for sure. But it's but it's both. Okay, and let's just imagine that uh, I'm a potential enterprise customer. You know, maybe you know, ten thousand seats, and and we're having an initial conversation. What are some of the questions that you're going to ask me to qualify whether or not I'm a legitimate prospect for Anonabit? Well, I generally want to know, you know, how are you handling account recovery today? Um, how are you managing authentication today? Where where are the gaps? Um, are you worried about? storage of personal information what kind of personal information you know are you storing um are you getting bogged down with um with password recovery needs um so there there are two clear there are two clear drivers uh for for why people care about um anonymous one is what we talked about before the gdpr the li potential liability with storing and managing uh personal data and the other has to do with um seamless authentication and ensuring that um, you know who you're who you're transaction transacting with and by the way this could be online it could also be the it could also be in the physical world so think about frictionless payments at the checkout think about access control to a data center as well as you know trading cryptocurrency so uh, there are um, the problem of ensuring strong strong authentication while you know maintaining the highest levels of data protection um, cut across uh, many, many, many different um, use cases. Okay, great. And let's say if I was a potential enterprise customer and I said, hey, you know, th this platform looks really interesting. 
Um, but I am curious in terms of, you know, the kind of the, the signal security signal that comes that, that the platform can deliver, for example, anomalous behavior. Um, do you do you track certain events or flag certain events that say, hey, you know what, this this looks a little, a, a little bit weird This uh, in terms of, you know, maybe the type of auth, auth, uh, authorization requested or the location or the frequency or anything like that? So we're really focused on um, the biometric authentication, which is, are you who you claim to be? There are other solutions that are specifically designed for behavioral uh, analysis, or there are other technologies that, that, that look for behavioral anomalies. We are specifically in the biometric authentication realm, which is, you know, again, are you who you claim to be? Um, and I should just add, and I know we're on time, but I should just add that, um, that it's the, it's the biometric that is the strongest link to to answer that question of, who, of whether you are who you claim to be. Everything else are, you know, uh, uh, substitutes or, you know, potential indicators, but they don't get to the heart of, you know, who you really are. Right. And I'm just curious on the on the biometric side, are, do you have any kind of uh, scalability and scalability is not the right word. Um, uh, what's the word? It, it, settings to determine. Okay, you know, this is a ninety percent match, or it's an eighty-eight percent match. We, you know, some kind of uh, control to give you some some latitude in terms of what's an exact match or an acceptable match, or is it just fixed? So this is in the world of biometrics. It, biometrics, in, in, by definition, are probabilistic. Okay. So the way it works is that. The, the data is distributed over these different nodes, and then the calculation happens um, across the nodes. So if we get um, a certain amount back, then there's a, a confidence level that, that it's a match. And we're doing it in a decentralized way, but traditional biometrics are essentially doing it in the same way. It's always a, a probabilistic uh, measure of a match, and then usually the, the enterprise will decide, okay, at what point do I say yes or no? Think of it like a, like a metal detector at an airport, right? Like you raise the sensitivity or you lower it. Right. And, no, and, and I, I just personally have had issues with, uh, <laughs> and I don't know if it's, if, if I don't shave that day or whatever it is, but I've had certain, certain um, platforms that have been very, very sensitive and other ones uh, that just pretty much, I think anybody could sit in front of the computer and get access. Uh, so it's, uh, and maybe it, maybe it's, it depends on the um, the value of the assets that I'm trying to to access. But uh, yeah, so I, I, what you're saying is, is that the enterprise can can somewhat uh, they can determine the sensitivity or set the sensitivity. Um, yeah. Great. Well, hey, uh, let me ask you. I mean, step back a little bit and, and talk about the business side of things. So, um, when did you start Anonabit? Where are you at? You know, how, what was it like to go out and and look for investors in that process? And then, yeah, and then where are you at right now? So, um, Anonabit, depending on how you count, is like my twelfth startup. So, I'm pretty well versed in how these processes work, <laughs> and I don't think this one was any, you know, any different. I think that it, you know, it. Um, the process is reaching out to people, you know, explaining the vision, making sure that you know people understand. There, there, and this this is a pretty crazy investment climate, you know, as you know, both on yep. the seed fund, uh, seed side of things, and on the uh, on the larger round side of things. So, um, it was pretty crazy to to figure out, you know, which was the right um, type of partner. But at the end of the day, I was really looking for the right type of partner because I think, again, this is this is my first rodeo and at this point um it's 
I knew that what I really wanted was a foundational partner, um, a partner that was going to help us, you know, put the fundamentals of the business together in place this year because we we want to do this in a calculated manner and not just kind of you know go whiplash and be schizophrenic about how we build the business. So there are very specific milestones that that we want to reach and we're trying to do this in a deliberate way. And we we are you know we were very um, I I just think that Switch Ventures and the team that they and, and Next Gen Venture Partners and others are really um, they're really the right partners for us at this juncture. Excellent. And um, any any exciting uh, or imminent announcements for 2022? You'll definitely have to stay tuned because, as I said, there's um, we're doing this in a very deliberate way. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of what I was talking about in terms of um, of the vision of uh, of the, of, um, of uh, eliminating the potential for data breaches by, uh, you know, eliminating the essential honeypots of data all around, um, providing um, digital and trusted interactions, putting consumers at the heart of, you know, their their data, um, and not giving up privacy and security involves many things. So I think that as we roll out, a lot of things will become, you know, will become apparent, but it's all going to be based around that vision. Awesome. Last question. Well, until I think of another one, but uh, <laughs> so do you see do you see Anonymit as being a brand that 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 consumers will recognize and and feel kind of an affinity or safe uh, have an aura of safety when they're using it, or do you see Anonymit being as part of just a bigger overall solution uh, and and that more of like a B two B brand that that companies want to kind of incorporate in their in their uh, you know security. Infrastructure. I think that's an excellent question. I think that Anonymous eventually will become a brand in the sense a consumer, a, a brand that consumers recognize as a as um, a trusted um, platform that mm-hmm. the businesses they work with use. Um, so you know, think of it as like the Intel inside, right? So we want to be like um, the brand that um, all enterprises rely on to protect the personal data of their customers and their employees. No, I, I think that's God. There's potentially a huge kind of marketing message opportunity there because you know every day we're asked to provide biometric information and and we're being our voices are being recorded our our behavior our key you know how how we use the keyboard everything's being recorded and oftentimes we're we're aware of it but we we kind of it's kind of the the price of entry to you know use different apps etc but i think there's a lot of concern in the market like where is this information how is it being used and where is it being stored and exactly and that's the big thing is that we're every day we're forking over our personal data and the question is where is it going and every time there's a data leak and a data breach every single day it's like okay we we as consumers feel helpless right well, hey, Francis, I've uh, enjoyed this conversation and I've learned um, several things here. And it's it's one of the reasons I, I just love doing this podcast because I get, I get to meet people like you and I get to learn new things and new perspectives. For example, the, um, you know, the, 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 the potential or the sometimes conflict between privacy and security, uh, especially in the context of cryptos and NFTs, et cetera. But a lot of the other things you talked about in terms of the decentralized um, infrastructure, hugely important. I um, I wish you and the Anonymous team a great and massively successful 2022. 
Thank you so, so much for the opportunity. I enjoyed this chat as well. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.